Hi, everyone. I'm Josh. I'm Joe, and this is Video Dropbox, a movie chat podcast where, for the month of October, we're browsing our video store shelves to choose some spooky staff picks. So, Josh, you, last episode, chose Trick or Treat. Well, I kind of mentioned earlier, like on last episode, that I see this film mentioned a lot in my 31 Days of Horror Challenge, and... Mm. I know like Ozzy Osbourne and Gene Simmons are the big draw to it, but I knew nothing about it other than that, that they were in it and that a lot of people really like this movie. So that was a big reason why I feel like a movie called Trick or Treat during Halloween should be seen probably by everyone, especially to someone like me who is a huge 1980s horror fan. But then tied to the content of the film, it even more so kicks it up to something I wanted to see. And boy... Did it deliver? I am so glad that we actually saw. I, I know we can get into it and talk about thoughts, but I really enjoyed this for someone who had never seen or heard anything about it, other than that it relies heavily on satanic panic and the heavy metal of it all. Yeah, I I hadn't heard of this before you mentioned it, and I feel I would have been hesitant about it because you hear the cameos of Gene Simmons and Ozzy Osbourne, and that it's focused on eighties metal, and that's not really a scene that I ever really got in. I was into Metallica in high school, but that was the extent of it. So I feel that there are movies that really lean into the metal era. That is, it's not my thing really, but this, yeah, I got into this. This is surprisingly very entertaining. And one of the things that I was interested in while watching, because a big part of the plot is playing a record backwards uh, and raising the devil through that. And it got me thinking, like, what was the first movie to do that? And I could be wrong, but I think this might be it. Because I was, I started to research, it's called backmasking. So I started to research and it can all be traced back, not surprisingly, to Aleister Crowley, who back in the early 1900s, he was telling satanic magicians in training to uh, listen to recordings backwards, to train their minds, to understand things backwards. I don't know. And then when it came to music, they weren't the first band to do it, but the Beatles were the ones to make it popular. Uh, And then it kind of took off from there. And then it was just around 1982 when legislation started popping up against the music and against this backmasking saying that it's all satanic. And as far as I could tell, because The Gate, one of my favorite horror movies, that also has the backwards record causing chaos, but that was released a year after this film. So I think this might be it. I think this might have popularized the uh, evil backwards record phenomenon. So Yeah, and if anyone out there does know of an earlier film, by all means, shoot us a yeah. message or post it on our social. But I, too, am like very into that whole idea of the you know hidden message played backwards one of the first times i remember watching a main film that focuses on that plot was actually the lords of salem which is way after mm. this and so i was kind of interested when once i found out the plot of this film to see like how similar those films would be and i'm happy to say that they are nowhere near no. at all the same movie it just kind of plays with that same idea. And in fact, I remember being really disappointed with Lords of Salem in that way is that it didn't really play much of a feature in that film. Mm-hmm. It was just like a minor part of it. Maybe it was just a cursed record, not played backwards, but... Gosh, I don't even remember at this point. Yeah, it, it's been a while. But needless to say, like this one really plays it up and I really love the idea of it. And in fact, I was going to say, like I think that's 
also a huge draw of me for this film is because, again, with my religious upbringing, like I have a huge draw to satanic panic or just sort of films with the occult. I think because, again, for years, it was like a big no-no, like keep away, stay away. It's the devil's work. You're going to, you know, get involved in some dark shit. If you try to even read, in, in my case, in my schools, I'm, they banned like Fear Street and Goosebumps books, which oh. was a huge big deal because I loved them and wanted to read them because the cover arts for those were just like so iconic. So I don't know. I've always just had this like draw towards a lot of these films. Like that's why like As Above, So Below is one of my favorites mm-hmm. because that has a huge, you know, like historical sort of occult type storyline going on. Plus other films that I wrote down that obviously I enjoy, you know, Rosemary's Baby's one of them. Even though some people might argue about The Babysitter, that newer film on Netflix, Mm. I enjoyed that. There's Jennifer's Body, which is similar, you know, where they sacrifice Jennifer to get the fame. And then a newer movie that comes to mind to me that I don't know if you've seen it, Joe, is American Satan. No, haven't heard of that. They adapted into the star show called Paradise City, which I never watched. It's entertaining i highly recommend it i don't know i have to go back and watch it it feels like one of those kind of dark harder films to watch but yet i remember seeing it air on tv a few times after i watched it and i kind of just kept drawing in and watching it because i was really obsessed but like i couldn't explain why because i was like oh i don't like this it's making me feel like a certain way but yet i can't stop watching it so maybe that's the power of the devil calling me to these films but um i digress i wanted to just share a few things that i looked up while i was researching sort of the idea of the satanic panic it's just overall facts that a lot of people may already know but i just find really interesting because i don't know a lot about it do you like when it started and the results of everything No, I don't really know the actual history. Yeah, just where it pops up in pop culture, really. I'm mostly focused in on the 80s because that's the timeline that we're dealing with right here because this was Trick or Treats 86. And uh, one of the things that immediately came to my attention is, and I, I haven't had a chance to watch the entire documentary, but I watched parts of it. It's a 1989 Christian documentary film called Hell's Bells, The Dangers of Rock and Roll. And uh, basically the film examines the relationship of rock music to sex, violence, suicide, drug use, rebellion, the occult, and other activities considered immoral by biblical theology. And I found it on YouTube, but then there's also, it looks like later they did a follow-up in 2004 called Hell's Bells 2, The Power and Spirit of Popular Music. And I obviously didn't look at that. I wonder who they go after in that (laughs) one. Go in on, yeah. But I highly recommend at least looking up and watching 1989's version because it did look really interesting because there's a lot of really great archival footage. And in fact, I think the film even starts with like a disclaimer saying, you know, like there is disturbing footage that you're about to see because, it's you know, it's a Christian documentary. In fact, I even got a kick out of like some of the footage from the film. There was like a scene where it was Material Girl by Madonna performed Mm. live on stage. And it's like, of course, they're hamming it up because of the sex. But I just love that Hell's Bells, The Dangers of Rock and Roll, the Last person I think of is like Material Girl era Madonna. But anyway, again, I digress. So I pulled a really great quote. It says it's from this Dr. Adam Neesty, a musicologist who studies the effects music has on people. And he says, it's really a powerful drug. Music can poison you, lift your spirits, or make you sick without knowing why. And in fact, part of it goes into, it's just, that's why I highly recommend everyone watching it. It's just really interesting because they have this analogy of like basically a speaker right in front of a plant and certain music, like the plant is unfazed, but then there's rock and roll music and it basically makes it wither 
and says it like has effects on the body. It's like they're showing this like quote unquote effects of the body and how it like makes the plant wither and die because that's what's going to happen to people. So a few other things that I found really interesting other than the article related to the satanic panic is there is an article that I found called Revisiting America's Satanic Panic When Heavy Metal and the Devil Himself Stalked the Earth. And so it kind of just gives like a quick background of the 80s and how it says, panic hit, the Cold War had not yet thawed. It wasn't just that parents were afraid of Satan, they were afraid, period. You have to remember that in the early 1980s, there were a lot of major shakeups in the traditional American family. Divorce rates had been surging since the 70s and more women were working outside the home than ever before. So for the first time, parents were trusting their children to strangers at daycare in great numbers, plus they often didn't know what their teenagers were up to because they weren't home to supervise them. So I just like that it gives you sort of that like landscape. And we all know this because we grew up, at least you and I, Joe, we grew up in the 80s. This is our era. Like, I don't remember that specific feeling of the satanic panic and the, you know, freak out of my parents wondering what I was doing. But I could easily see it, Mm -hmm. you know, of like parents just being like easily persuaded because... Even the latest season of Stranger Things on Netflix really plays heavily into this whole thing. And in fact, can we also point out how the main character who's accused of the devil's work is named Eddie also? Like, I know there are other Eddies out there, but I was going to bring that up later and just basically ask if you thought maybe the creators were a little bit... It's a reference to... Huh. Yeah, to Trick or Treat. I mean, how can it not be, right? Just even the hair, it was like was watching this sure. film. I was like, you know, Eddie does kind of look like the Eddie from Stranger Things. Hmm. But I loved it. Um, and then the last thing I just wanted to point out is one other article that I found on Louder. Why your favorite rock band is a tool of Satan and must be stopped. And in fact, they just talk about how in 1985, well, one of the things that I could have added to the earlier article they also talk about is, you know, in 85, that was when this was established that a group of politicians' wives in D.C. were concerned about the effects of heavy metal, hip-hop, and pop. So that's when they formed the Parents Music Resource Center mm. to lobby for the introduction of parental advisory stickers on albums. And that's kind of where that originated uh. from. That we all know today that if you go to a Walmart <laughs> and you try to buy an album, you won't get the... I don't know if they're the ones to blame for it, but you won't be able to get the dirty edit unless it has that on it. But... The Is more that still int- a thing? Are parental advisories still a thing on albums anymore? Some of them are. Because I, you know, that self-titled Beyonce album that has a black cover, in fact, I went once and bought it at Walmart, not thinking anything of it. And it didn't have the parental advisory on it, but I bought it and I, I was listening to it. And then I heard another version later streaming somewhere. And I was like, wait a minute, there are like no curse oh. words. <laughs> and I realized it was a clean edit. And I went back and I tried to explain to the person, I was like, oh, I bought the wrong version. I want the non-edited version. And they were like, we don't sell that. And I was like, what? So this, again, that was many years ago. But I do believe that some albums still have the parental advisory stickers on them. Because I guess, like, they need to let the children know. Yeah. But my last point I was going to make is in this louder article, it references in 83, there was this man named Jacob Aranza, a young Texan minister of the church, who took it upon himself to alert parents to the dangers of rock and roll by exposing not only the overt sinful behavior practiced by its leading exponents, but also to lay bare 
sinister, satanic messages secreted within the grooves of popular vinyls. I love mm. the way they wrote that, secreted within the grooves <laughs> of popular vinyl records. But he, he ended up writing a book called Backward Masking Unmasked. Oh. He noted that many of these messages are tied in closely with witchcraft and Satan worship and encourage abnormal sexual behavior and the use of drugs. And so I'm just going to point out some of the highlights from his book that this article points out because mm. I thought it was pretty entertaining. So one of the things he says is Led Zeppelin is on no stairway to heaven, but rather, if you pardon the expression, on the highway to hell. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, that was one goodie. Um, of course, with a name like Black Sabbath, you could only expect them to be what they are. Good point. Yep. Uh, queen, the name comes from a slang word meaning homosexual. What? <laughs> God forbid, right? I love that they also say, no need for backward messages here as kiss the fire-breathing demons from rock and roll hell <laughs> openly and unashamed profess to be kids in Satan's... Oh, sorry. Yeah, I always thought it was knights in Satan's service, but he has kids in Satan's service. Listen. Oh, yeah. I got two more. Iron Maiden. This group's latest album is titled The Number of the Beast, with songs like Invaders and Children of the Damned makes one wonder as to what this band's appeal is. Mm. And then I also like that it says Alice Cooper is a reincarnated 17th century witch. <laughs> so fantastic. And of course, ACDC are without question on the highway to hell. Yes. I, I was reading some anecdote with them. I, I don't know if it was actually in court for any of the stuff or if they just said it where they were being blamed for having satanic messages backwards in their albums. And they said like, if we had those messages, why would we hide it backwards? Our album is titled Highway to Hell. Like, we're very upfront. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that was a lot to kind of digest. But I just found all of this really interesting because we could have a larger conversation and probably do a whole marathon. And in fact, if people have other suggestions out there of other Satanic Panic films that are fantastic, by all means, suggest them to Joe and I because I do love this genre. And I just wanted to, like, emphasize even more that unintentionally i ended up picking a great genre for this week's pick that i'm incredibly fascinated by and i'm not saying that i'm a satanist by any means i i just find it all really fascinating and it's a whole nother lifestyle and culture that i have no experience with so yeah because i was gonna ask like because you had a personal interest when the like Goosebumps books were being banned. Did you ever have any uh, metal phase, any rock and roll phase? I didn't. Uh, you know, all my friends early on, like same to you, like were all super into Metallica early on. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I know it's hard to believe the person who loves Madonna and Britney Spears and all these pop centric artists. I actually saw Metallica live at Summerfest, Milwaukee. I believe it was the. Is it the Louder album? Is that the era that it came out? Oh, or... Is it the one with the blood and semen on the cover that I never knew about until my boss oh, told me yeah. about it? He's like, yeah, you know what that cover is? Because it just looks like fire to me. Yeah. But he's like, no, that's actually supposed to just be blood and semen. And I had no oh. idea... Load and reload. So, Load yeah, reload. and reload. Okay, yeah. yep. See, this shows how big of a fan I am of Metallica. But um, I remember that that going around... Yeah. Back in the day, yeah. So that was kind of the big come up. And in fact, I would say I like more of the 1980s hair metal that I, or, or even metal, I should say. It doesn't even need to be hair metal. Now, like I really, I was really into the soundtrack to this film. 
and mm-hmm. never heard yeah. any any of the songs. And in fact, I would say similar to the Goosebumps thing, I was really intrigued by all the albums that they kept referencing in the film when the mom was like searching, you know, looking through all of Eddie's vinyl albums. Yeah. And they showed all the like iconic covers for actual bands. Like I was super into it. Yeah, and I reading, I'm not, I'm not going to go into it, but if you look on the IMDb trivia for this, they go into like all of the metal bands of the 80s that have posters on the walls. So it really seemed like the filmmakers knew what they were doing, or at least the production designer really got into it and made this very authentic. Yeah. So. Well, and I, I just I should point out, so one of the other, the draws to Hell's Bells, The Dangers of Rock and Roll, that documentary I was talking about, is it's, it's funny because there was a Pitchfork article that basically was saying, if anything, the best part of, that you're going to get out of this is that it introduced thousands of viewers to the band's Venom, Merciful Fate, and I don't know if I'm saying this correctly, but Diamanda Gallus, which are, you know, some occultists in their opinion, yeah. occultist heavy metal groups that were probably pretty obscure. Yeah, until this movie. <laughs> until the movie came out and people were like, yo, yeah, let's check that out. Rock and roll will never die. At least not this Halloween. I've heard of raising spirits from the dead by incantations, right? Yes. I did that by playing a record backwards. Diving into the movie itself, Trick or Treat, uh, also titled in other markets as Ragman and Death at 33 RPM. I think that's what was another one. But so anyway, Trick or Treat, this movie came out with a very choice release date of October 24th, 1986, right before Halloween. Uh, It opens up at number five on the box office charts and makes... $6.7 million total. Yeah, cast and crew. First, like we mentioned, Gene Simmons and Ozzy Osbourne have the cameos. The most interesting person I thought, first, he's probably my favorite character in the movie, the best friend Roger. He is played by Glenn Morgan. Uh, Glenn Morgan went on with James Wong to do a whole bunch of work on the early X-Files show. And also, according to IMDb, it seems that both of them might have been uncredited screenwriters for this movie as well. I think there's five total they listed. So yeah, maybe they helped write this. And oh, and Glenn Morgan also did Final Destination. For the... Crew. First, the director, Charles Martin Smith, he directed the pilot episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, nice. Cinematographer, Robert Ellsworth. Shockingly, this is Paul Thomas Anderson's go-to cinematographer now, which I'm not <laughs> sure, I think he's done all of them. So he's doing like There Will Be Blood and Boogie Nights and all these crazy, amazing looking movies. The main effects guy was Kevin Yeager. He went on to work a lot doing Freddy Krueger, I think with uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 2, or maybe 3 and 4, and then also Freddy's Nightmares, and also did work on The Crypt Keeper and Tales from the Crypt. But the biggest rock star is the composer Christopher Young. His output is insane for a horror fan. This isn't even all of the titles. I just picked some highlights. He did Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Hellraiser, The Dark Half, Species, Urban Legend, Drag Me to Hell, Sinister, The New Pet Cemetery, Empty Man, The Uninvited, and the U.S. version of The Grudge. So he is wow. all over horror. His fingerprints are everywhere. But then, of course, on the soundtrack for the actual music, it is the band Fastway, which uh, is a British metal band formed by Motorhead guitarist Fast Eddie Clark and UFO bassist Pete Way. And I'm not sure how much work they did and how many albums they put out, but I think this was a... Oh, no, they put out a good amount of albums. But I feel like 
probably the highlight of their musical career was Trick or Treat. It was a whole album, apparently. Oh, yeah. I was just going to say, like, when I was researching today, of course, me being the vinyl head that I am, it's like, there it is, like, front and center. <laughs> they, like, reissued or just put out. And maybe it's Mondo. I don't know. I, I got to oh. double check. But, you know, an exclusive newer version of this album. Uh, well, in terms of reviews, I and mean, if there's someone that, I can see being worried about Satan and music. It would be Leonard Malton, but <laughs> he, he gives this film two stars. He said, mm. Hey kids, rock and roll really is the devil's music. Fan of recently killed rocker conjures the dead star by playing his unreleased last album backward, but finds his hero is evil and bent on the world's destruction. Clever and well-made, but story becomes terribly trite. So I mean, that's okay for Not Leonard the Malton worst. review. <laughs> yeah. Another person that I recognize in this that I wouldn't say is a huge name, but Doug Savant is the other person that I recognize. He's the bully who plays Tim, who it was Matt, first openly gay man on a evening soap in Melrose Place. Oh. Um, and he was also in Desperate Housewives. Oh, wow. Which I wasn't, you know, a big fan and watched that all the way through, but people do know Doug Savant is a name. Nice. I'll also, I forgot to mention the actress who plays Large Marge in Pee-wee's Big Adventure also makes a few appearances in this film too on the television. Yes, I'm glad you brought that up because while I was doing my summary, it's always really hard to cram every single thing in, so I may not have included the scene that she had, but I'm going to just say it off the top. It is a phenomenal scene where she is, I don't know, is she just a mother who's... I forgot what her role is, but she's being interviewed on television talking about the evils of the music. Yeah, it, it really just, to me, feels like it's heavily implied. It's like a riff on those, like we were talking earlier, maybe like the politician wives that are like getting together mm. to talk about you know how rock and roll music is evil and one of the great effects that runs throughout this film which again i didn't add into my summary but i'll just say it up off the top is when sammy is present sammy's our antagonist there'll be stuff that's happening on tv and he inter literally interacts with the tv and i loved it because i was at first like is this happening because there's a scene where ozzy osbourne's character is talking and then he drags his nails against the tv and you just see ozzy scream and like twitch mm -hmm. on the tv and then it cuts and you don't see it again. But when it really kind of comes back in full force is we see this large Marge actress bitching about, you know, rock music and everything on TV. And he literally reaches in the TV, pulls her out screaming and just kind of shakes her into like dust. Yeah. And that's it. Man, what a great effect. The effects in this movie are surprisingly fantastic. Like I was really impressed with some of the stuff they were able to pull off. Yeah, my only bummer that I'm going to say off the top, again, we can talk more in depth later, is that there wasn't more, like, actual deaths. Like, there's mm, there's a lot sure. of pandemonium and stuff, but, like, yeah. the stuff that they set it up to be pretty gnarly, like, they don't always follow through on. A.K.A. the shop scene that we'll talk about once I get mm -hmm. into it. So, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The film does open with a montage of our lead, Eddie, a.k.a. Ragman, getting harassed and tormented by his classmates. And in fact, one important segment of it, and not just because it's male nudity, is that <laughs> he is getting harassed. And it gave me, like, huge Carrie vibes. Like, mm -hmm. actually, yeah. at first, I was like, oh, this is like the male Carrie. And this, in fact, almost does feel sort of like a more punk rock, harder version of Nightmare 2 at some points. Mm. Like a less scream queeny type... <laughs> camp moment because let's be honest sammy really is like freddie yeah very yeah, similar very similar and 
Eddie reminds me of like a, a harder, more punk rock version of Jesse from Nightmare 2. And so he's being harassed by his classmates because he's just, you know, typical, like probably after gym, like showering and getting ready to like get back to his next class. And I don't remember what the, I think the guys, well, not only is one of them laying like on his side on top of his locker, it's just great in that locker room. He's just totally shirtless and laying on top of the locker. But the other bullies just like take his clothes grab his towel and push him out into the gym where all of the popular girls are playing volleyball and they're having gym class and he's completely naked and trying to like claw his way back into the gymnasium. And I love it because some girl just has a Polaroid camera, (laughs) pulls it out of nowhere, takes a picture of him completely naked and then they all point and laugh and it's very like, they're all going to laugh at you moment from Carrie. <laughs> so the montage ends with Eddie writing a letter to his rock idol, Sammy Kerr, explaining how he'd love to get even. And later, while Eddie's doing some laundry, he's kind of tuning out a news report because he's got like, he puts a headset on and he has the TV on in the background. And the report that we're seeing on TV has like an exposition dump, basically explaining that the city council recently banned Sammy from performing at his alma mater that is the same high school that Eddie goes to, Lake Ridge High. And he was supposed to perform at their Halloween dance, but city council banned him from doing that because of that ludicrous devil music that he produces. So when Eddie does finally pay attention to the report, it's then revealed that Sammy has died in a hotel fire and Eddie is completely wrecked and destroyed. And so what does a normal teenage boy who's grieving do? He completely trashes his room, like ripping down almost every single poster, and except for the Sammy one. And then we cut to a radio station where he commiserates with the radio host Nuke, played by Gene Simmons. And in fact, did you recognize him right away? I didn't, no. I didn't either. And I was like, this radio DJ is kind of sexy. And I was like, oh no, is that Gene Simmons? And I was like, oh, okay. Props to Gene Simmons. I guess he was a stud back in the day. I mean, I'd only ever seen him, you know, in the Kiss makeup. And I know what he looks like as an older man out of makeup, but not yeah. as a young man. But um, Nuke, you know, kind of goes on to explain that he shouldn't idolize Sammy as much as he is because he wasn't really a great guy. And he also tries to just then cheer him up because Eddie's totally down in the dumps about this by surprising him and saying, look, hey, I got Sammy's last album on acetate vinyl. It's the only copy. And he has made a copy on a cassette tape that he did plan on playing at midnight on Halloween per Sammy's instructions. But he gives, you know, because he's got the master, not the masters, but the, the recorded version on tape. He gives the vinyl to Eddie as a gift. And then at school later, Eddie meets Leslie, one of the popular girls that we met earlier in the volleyball scene. She gives him back a copy of the naked Polaroid and tries to apologize on behalf of the bullies by inviting him to an after-hours pool party at the school. And I wrote crossover with Nightmare 5 because <laughs> there really is something about these late-night school pool parties, isn't there? How iconic would that have been if somehow they coordinated it, even though it wasn't the same year, for them to like literally just walk past the other characters that are just like (laughs) sitting there talking? Yeah, yeah. It would have been so great. Or we see like Yvonne in the back, like diving off the high dive. It would have been great. Why Eddie goes to that party is beyond me. I think he's just entranced because he likes this girl, Leslie. He's like, damn, she's hot and she's paying attention to me. So I'm going to go. He shows up at the party And if this is not everyone's worst nightmare, I don't know what is, but he's confronted by the lead bully, who's Tim, played by Doug Savant, who we talked about earlier. And you know what Tim does? He puts a weight 
in Eddie's backpack and pushes him into the pool. And while he's drowning, everyone's just standing there watching him. And it's just like insane. But, you know, we need this because this is what causes Leslie to jump in and save him. And he's just totally pissed at this point. He's totally convinced this is like a Carrie situation. She set him up and he threatens to get even with everyone and storms out of there. So at home, Eddie finally plays the Sammy Kerr album. And as the record's playing, he has a vision of Sammy in the middle of a burning circle. And basically, it just implies there's a satanic ritual happening. And in fact, there's this one guy to the right of Sammy who's like moving around and doing this praying and chanting. And there's just another man on the left, just totally on fire. <laughs> it's just like, it's great. This is like, he's just completely engulfed in flames while Sammy's just in the middle of everything. While the record's playing, it cuts back to sort of Eddie listening to it. And the music starts to sound like a track played backwards. It has this sort of demonic voice and everything is moving backwards. And the only thing that Eddie ends up making out is nail them all before the track stops. So the next day at school, he runs into Leslie again and she tries to apologize, but he completely blows her off because he's like, nope fool me once and then ends up confronting the bullies in the lunchroom and there's an elaborate chase scene through the school that ends with eddie actually tricking them into thinking he's in this one room that's like kind of blocked out the windows blocked out so the bullies are idiots they grab like a fire extinguisher and just whip open the door and start spraying everyone in there in fact it's revealed it's the teacher's lounge and so they're in deep shit Score one for Eddie. He's totally happy. I think he even like just joyrides all through town. It's like, yeah, fuck yeah, listening to his metal. And then it cuts back to him playing his record to his friend Roger, who this is the friend that we Morgan. Yep. And he's like, see, don't you hear the message? And Roger's totally unconvinced. In fact, I do love this line that I had to write it down because I don't, I'd never even thought of it this way. But Roger basically is like, you know, this is just a marketing ploy, right? That forces kids to mess up their records and buy more. And I'm like, yeah. I've never actually thought of that before. So I applaud them. I applaud Roger for having that train of thought. So Roger, he's unconvinced. He's out of there. And then Eddie tries to record and catch it on cassette tape, the message that he had heard earlier, and records it and then realizes as it starts speaking to him that Sammy is communicating with him through the record from beyond the grave. And instead of being like terrified, he's just like totally on board. He's like, oh, yeah. Like, I, I do applaud the film, I guess, for that way. Of, like, not fucking around with the, like, oh, maybe I shouldn't do this, or this is really scary. He's just like, oh, this is awesome. Sammy's talking to me. Yeah. And so he's communicating to Sammy, and there's just the, the message, Metal Machines 6-6 Crush plays, which doesn't make any sense until the next day when you see Eddie visiting a shop room at school. And before he you know, opens or goes through the front door of that classroom. There's a six, six above the door. So he goes inside, he kind of just plops down, starts listening to the cassette recording that he made, you know, the album and lo and behold, bullies show up. And I love this. Tim calls him a, a wussy fucking weak tit, which (laughs) that's what I'm saying. Like the dialogue in this film is pretty great and it's pretty dated, but I love it. And they, they, they try attacking Eddie but before he can, a nearby machine turns on automatically and sucks Tim's tie-in. And he's nearly killed, but Eddie cuts the power just in the nick of time before this little drill can basically drill into his skull. And that is kind of the first of what I was saying earlier is kind of a letdown. Is like I was fully expecting it to be like, oh, fuck, like he's dead. But they shy away from it, and I was surprised why. Because Tim doesn't really add much to this story. And in fact, it could have even been like his friend that was with him and they could have just died and moved on and right. kind of did this great body count. But 
teach their yeah, own. Yeah, they were going for the slow build towards murder, but I suppose, yeah. And it does show, I suppose, like that Eddie does have a conscious, like he's not just like yeah. totally heartless. So we cut to that night. Eddie's recording another copy of the record to a cassette tape, and he gives it to Tim the next day, just in his locker. Tim finds it in his locker. And so that night, while Tim's making out in the woods with this girl, Jeannie, just classic making out in the woods, and then he's got to get up and go pee. So he leaves her alone. She finds the tape. She puts on the Walkman and starts listening to it. And this was a pretty effective scene, I thought, too. So there's this, like, green glow emitting from, like, the headphones. And then it starts spreading all over her body. And then, naturally, her clothes are being unfastened, and she's essentially topless. And she's moaning and groaning with her eyes closed, and you can tell she's being seduced by this track. When she opens her eyes, I was fully expecting, like, Sammy or something. I was not expecting this, like, demon creature thing, (laughs) just looking at her face to face. And she clearly, she screams, and then it cuts back to Tim coming back to the car and he just sees, I think her mouth is all green or something. And she's just totally passed out. Back at Eddie's, his mother's watching a report on rock pornography. I had to specifically point that out because it's interesting because the person leading that rock pornography conversation is Ozzy Osbourne himself, who appears on screen as a reverend. He's speaking out against rock music and its negative influences. Meanwhile, Tim arrives at the house and tells him about Jeannie and tries attacking him, but then is instead intimidated by Eddie because he does this sort of like weird Jedi thing where he's like standing on his front lawn between two pumpkins and he like puts his hand out. You can't see me. I'm putting my arm out. All of a sudden, the flames from like the pumpkins just totally flare up, which is great. Like it was a great visual. And in fact, I believe a lot of the posters kind of have this like- Oh, took it from that? Yeah, like- huge flame coming from the pumpkin. I don't know if Mm. it's him on the cover or what, but but yeah, I thought that was a pretty great effect too. And in fact, I was like, I absolutely need those for my house for Halloween. (laughs) Just to have these scary like pumpkins just flare up. Is your Halloween theme this year, the decorations of trick or treat? treat. That would be a good one. But the pumpkins, it scares the shit out of rightly Tim. And so instead of him plunging and trying to attack Eddie, he instead is like, you know what? Stay away from me. <laughs> Which is great because he went there to beat the shit out of him and instead is like, never mind, just leave me alone, please. I don't want to see you anywhere near me. So, you know, Eddie deduces, oh shit, something must have went down with the tape. And so he consults with Sammy and the record in his room to find out what happened to Jeannie. And it's great because we get this scene where Sammy is laughing over the track of the album, you know, through the speakers. And he replies, cheap thrills. And then nail them all. Sammy goes a little too far because he threatens to go after Leslie at this point. I don't know. Which, even though Eddie's blowing her off, he still clearly has some draw towards her and is worried about her. So Eddie tries pulling the plug to the stereo. Hands and a face kind of start pulsating from the speakers before everything goes dark. And then a half-burnt Sammy kind of explodes into the room with like this burst of electricity around him and stands before Eddie before disappearing. Once Sammy's out of the picture, Eddie completely destroys all his equipment and calls Roger, his best friend, begging him to steal the tape out of Tim's car. Because at this point, his mom is freaked out to say the least because she's there you know knocking on the door and she sees him like go apeshit on all his equipment and really fucking everything up so he's grounded so that's why he enlists roger to try to go to tim's break into his car and steal the tape there's this great scene of roger with like the i, love I don't know scene. like a coat hanger or something yeah. and he's like trying to break in he's like i'm gonna die this is it this is the end like he's just talking to himself it's so fantastic but 
Thankfully, nothing bad happens to Roger. He ends up getting the tape and he takes off on this little bike. He calls Eddie to tell him that he got it. When Eddie asks, hey, did you destroy it? Naturally, what does he say? Oh, yeah, yeah, I took care of it. But like anyone else, wouldn't you be intrigued in listening to it and seeing what's up with this recording? So he listens to the tape. Sammy appears and tells Roger to play it at the school dance or else. And in fact, this is one of those scenes we were talking about earlier where it's really effective, where it's the Reverend Ozzy Osbourne's on screen and Sammy drags his, like, I don't know if he's got, like, a claw. Because it drags across the TV and it kind of swivels and has a really great effect. So Roger agrees. And meanwhile, we cut back to Eddie, who's stuck at home handing out candy. And in fact, I don't know if you like this scene, too. I don't know if it's worth mentioning, but it was pretty effective while, you know, there's the knock on the door and the little girl says trick-or-treat smell my feet give me something good to eat and he just like slams the door in her face i think (laughs) (laughs) and then there's a phone call and when he answers he hears it's leslie asking if he's coming to the school dance and in the background he hears that infamous tape freaks out and when he runs out the door we get the good you know like recurrence of the little girl just being like trick-or-treat smell my feet and he just like takes the bowl and dumps it all in her bag and then just like (laughs) Hightails it out of there. So, okay, he, he gets in his car. We got to remember, like, one of the recorded tapes that he made is already in the tape player. So when it starts, the car is completely possessed. And I wrote, basically, that Sammy Christine's the car, because that's mm. totally what this reminded me of, is, like, a scene from Christine a little bit. Because the car is just, like, a bat out of hell, like, all through town. In fact, this is a really, again, effective... I don't know, just like effect scene of just that car being beat to hell, like mm. driving underneath a semi and the top oh, blowing yeah, off. And like, meanwhile, poor Eddie is just like down by the pedals, like pushing as hard as he can to get the damn car to stop. But like nothing is happening. So it's driving all over radically throughout town until eventually it stops at the edge of a lift bridge. And that allows Eddie to escape and he gets out and destroys the tape. And so it did seem really confusing to me at the first time I watched this. It's like, why would it just stop there? Like, why wouldn't it just go over the edge and kill him? Mm. But later we'll get to see like why this happened in the setup. So just remember that there's an aversion to water. And if anyone think off the top of their head, electricity and water. Okay. Anyway, so at the school dance, Sammy appears because the song's playing and everyone's, you know, getting into it. And that was another creepy scene too, where there's like a band that's about to go on and and the tape's playing. And this one guy, I think it's just the lead singer, is like checking the volumes of stuff. And like this hand comes out of the speaker, it's electric, you know, electrocuted as Sammy and just grabs onto him. And I don't think we ever see what happens to him, do we? The lead singer? I don't think so. No. It's just implied that he's a goner. And then Sammy just, you know, the ego on this fucker gets up on stage and just starts playing. And the crowd, of course, is totally into it and doesn't think anything's wrong and is convinced that it's a Sammy impersonator, which I think is hilarious because half his face is burnt and they're all like, whoa, this is a radical guy. He's great. So when Sammy starts playing his guitar solo, eventually electricity starts shooting out of the guitar. And then this is where we get sort of our carry montage because everyone mm-hmm. just starts freaking the fuck out. And it's great because it's not at, it's not like right away. They're just like literally getting zapped. And then like, you'll see guys like skirt around the dirty pile of clothes on the ground and then like just start headbanging and do like the devil horns and they're like yeah fuck yeah and it's just it's so great eventually everyone's getting zapped and people are running out of there and trying to escape and this is even better is so we cut to the scene where leslie is changing in the girl's bathroom and tim shows up and just kind of starts 
trying to like confront her about Eddie. Meanwhile, while they're having this conversation, it's evidently clear there's something going on because there's this very loud screaming and hysterical like <laughs> sounds in the background. Like you can hear it from the bathroom and like neither of these people like Tim or Leslie pay any attention to it. They're not like, oh my God, is there something going on? Like they just keep hearing like all this hysteric screaming and I just, I love it. We cut to, you know, Eddie finally arriving and he devises a plan with Roger to try to find the breaker box. That's what I thought, like, the one weak point of this movie is that the writers got to a point where, like, oh, well, now they have to fight Sammy. Like, oh, well, what can they do to fight this guy? And they're like, yeah, he's electricity. It's fine. Yeah. It's like, okay. Yeah, essentially, it just seemed like it turned into, like, he's an electricity monster now. It it was odd, so. it gets a little vague. But, you know, I'm rolling with it. It's fine. So uh, they split up, and Eddie heads to the gym. He finds a second tape that's playing on the overhead speakers and just completely destroys it. He tries looking for Leslie, but runs into Tim instead. And Sammy appears behind him and ends up electrocuting him, allowing time for Eddie to escape, which... Again, this felt really anticlimactic for a character that we absolutely hate. Yeah. And I I honestly thought maybe for a hot second that they were going to try to pull like a 180 and be like, oh, we liked him now. He's like a redeemable character because he's mm. relating to Eddie and they're becoming friends. Nope. He's dead. <laughs> it just, it was what it was. Like they could have had a, I don't know. I almost would have preferred the shop death. Yeah. Yeah, that that would have been more impactful. And So Eddie escapes and finds Leslie, and then the two of them are confronted by Sammy. And before Sammy can attack, Roger arrives, and thankfully the circuit breaker is right there. And I don't know, does Roger just take an axe to the breaker box? Then Sammy disappears, and we're fully convinced that Roger's dead because he's just laying there and was (laughs) hardcore electrocuted. Oh, yeah, that's (laughs) And they're like, oh my God, Roger. And I was actually really sad by this. I was like, well, he was such a minor character, but I was like, damn, they did him kind of dirty. And then like Roger essentially is just like, I'm not dead. And so while Leslie and Eddie are making their way out of the school, we overhear police asking students who is responsible. And I love that some of them say Sammy, which the police then say goes, we should check the party punch, (laughs) which is like so quintessential 80s, of course, like they're spiking the punch. But some of the students, it doesn't make any sense. And I think it actually might have been one of his bullies basically points the finger at Eddie. So the police try to question him, but Eddie immediately takes off, which I don't know why he would run. But I guess it's probably like easy to be like Stranger Things, right? Like it's easy to point your finger and be like, oh, it's a satanic panic over there. Like he did all this. So they're on the run. Leslie and Eddie, they kind of get away from everybody and they're in the clear. And then Eddie comes clean to Leslie about Sammy. And I do love that. Like, he's like, you don't believe me. And she's like, no, I believe you. I just need to know, like, I don't believe, I just don't believe it. Like, I can't believe this is what's happening. And then he gets into the backstory of like, what happened and remembers, oh my God, there's a final copy of the tape at the radio station and Nuke is going to play it at midnight because it's Halloween. So he tries phoning in, but it's too late. And we, I do think at some point we get a shot of like, basically everyone is pile of ash there at the radio station. Mm. You know, I honestly thought it was going to be like a race against time to stop the tape. But I do kind of love that. It's just like, nope, it's too late. It's already playing. Like the tape starts playing and we hear it over the radio. And so Sammy manifests, of course, and he appears and starts chasing Leslie and Eddie. And they end up back at Eddie's house. This is a great scene. So there's all these like chase scenes throughout the house and they're, you know, fighting off Sammy. But they end up in the bathroom 
And Eddie just picks up like a hamper and throws it at Sammy. And Sammy trips, falls, and like his one arm lands in the toilet. And then he immediately starts getting electrocuted and freaking the fuck out, which allows them time to get out of the house. But I just love like, it's just like this demon electricity ghost is like a klutz. Yeah, he just like, like falls like, whoops, my hand's whoa. in the toilet. <laughs> yeah, like the one arm into the toilet, like of all the places to fall. It was, it was just so great. And so that gives Eddie an idea. He's like, oh shit, there's something about the electricity and water. And so he devises a plan that they're going to go to the radio station and he's going to lure Sammy away because it's revealed that when they get to the radio station, I don't know if Sammy can be at two places at once or if he's just deciding to switch back and forth between places. But somehow Sammy knows that they're trying to go to the radio station to stop that song from playing because I think at this point, it's supposed to establish that when the song plays, it gives Sammy the power to manifest, correct? But he needs ample power nearby in order for him to survive. Sure. We'll go with it. (laughs) It's got to be something like that, or maybe if it's just that the song's playing, then he can manifest. Because what Eddie ends up doing is he takes sort of this handheld radio, and they steal a cop car. He throws it in the back portion of the cop car, drives off, while Leslie stays behind at the radio station because what Eddie's trying to do is lure Sammy away from the radio station so Leslie can get in and destroy the final tape. So he's driving away. He's talking all his shit to Sammy. Sammy's not biting. And it's not until, I love this, it's not until basically Eddie calls Sammy a poser that then Sammy's like, fuck you! And then like (laughs) appears on the back of the cop car and is thrashing and trying to get to him. And then it reveals that Eddie returns to that lift bridge that we were at earlier in the film and is like, hope you can swim, fucker, or something like that, and drives over the edge. And then, you know, we cut back to Leslie and she destroys the tapes. And so it's sort of left vague, like, oh no, did Eddie live? But I I don't know. Were you ever concerned about Eddie? I was not concerned about Eddie. Yeah, because the you know the car, the car drowns and then we don't see anything like come up from the surface. Yeah. So it cuts back to Leslie, who's now at the radio station all alone, like sobbing and crying. And he walks in completely drenched from head to toe. They embrace and kiss, and then the film ends with like a hand turning up. I think it's just the volume on the buttons at the radio station, mm. and then. Eddie popping in a tape before saying, wake up, sleepyheads, it's party time. And so cuts to credits. And then the one bit that isn't even really worth sticking around for, in my opinion, is at the very end, the end end credits. There's just a quick bit of Ozzy Osbourne. And he's you know still on that talk show as the reverend. And he basically just says the line, this could kick you off to becoming an absolute pervert. And that's it. So the DVD copy of this that I found a long time ago, because I knew I was going to watch this some year. And like, I have a bad habit of just on the weekends, I will browse the local thrift stores at DVDs because people literally throw their DVDs away today. And I will just like look through all the DVDs. And if something catches my eye, I'll pick it up because it's like three bucks. And as we notice these days, like things come and go so often on streaming services and they're not always available that I'll just pick it up because worth my time. I mean, if it's a terrible movie, I spent $3. Like, what's the loss? It's like basically renting it. And so trick or treat, the copy I have is this is this Platinum Disc Corporation edition. The cover is terrible. I don't know if you can see this, Joe. That is awful. It's trick or treat. (laughs) It's Ozzy 
and Jean. It's like an old Ozzy and Jean. Yeah, they're like eld- older, right like elderly, front. like an age, right up front with like a burning school in the background and a skeleton and just a trick or treat. And right on top, it says Gene Simmons, Ozzy Osbourne, trick or treat. Yeah. It's terrible. And yeah. so if you saw this alone, you'd be like, oh, that's like some straight up direct to DVD bullshit. And so I'm not going to lie. Like when I saw that, I was a little nervous, but I was like, I'm still going to give it a chance because like I knew a lot of people really like this movie. And so getting into it, Joe, final thoughts. What what do you think overall of this? I really liked it. It was a big surprise. You know, I'm I'm sure it's known in the kind of like metal horror loving community, but yeah, I'm a little surprised that this one is not more well known and talked about. Yeah, it's got to be a cult film, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm right there with you. Like, I've looked at a lot of lists before, and this is one that I very rarely ever see people, like, reference or put on lists. Unless it's, you know, this challenge, like we said, we're doing where people are watching horror films and suggesting things. But as far as lists or recommendations, I very seldomly ever see this listed. I mean, I saw multiple lists. Like, if you look up metal horror films, this is number one. But like you have to look up that specific thing. Well, here's my last question to you then, Joe. Oh, boy. Do you think they should have had a sequel? I mean, they could have. I'm okay with it being one-off. I feel like you wanted a sequel. <laughs> You've mentioned it. I just kind of want to know like what... It, I just think the Sammy Kirk character is really terrifying. And I think it would have been great if like if they did a... I don't want to say standalone sequel, but like moved away from Eddie and Leslie... And maybe like, because uh, I don't remember what happens to that. Did we actually see the record get destroyed? I'm trying to remember the actual vinyl record. I know the tapes get destroyed. That's a good question. I don't remember. And he smashes his stereo and he smashes his turntable. But I don't know if we actually see the, the vinyl. getting busted. I mean, yeah. maybe, maybe not. But it could easily be slipped in somewhere that someone made a copy of the tape. Yeah, or like the vinyl is passing hands at some garage sale and someone picks it up. And But man, could you imagine like a, a Freddy vs. Sammy movie? Oh man, we get Freddy vs. Jason, but Fre- Sammy vs. Freddy would just be, oh, what a world. I can only imagine. There's got to be fan fiction out there, right? Well, regardless, I really enjoyed it. I'm glad that I picked it. I'm not just patting myself on my my own back because I know a lot about it and knew it was going to be good. I just, you said, I always get excited when we're pleasantly surprised by these films that we know nothing about. We had discussed off the top of the podcast that we are going to be continuing our trend of picking spooky staff picks. And next week's episode happens to be Joe's pick. So Joe... It's mine again. So my first pick was Juan the Curse. Hadn't seen it before. Just diving right into that. But I'm going to choose something I have seen before. And I know that you, Josh, have not. Because my original pick, what I wanted to also talk about, was Cherry Falls, which is probably post-Scream my favorite slasher. It, and I just rewatched it recently. Like, it's so weird. But I feel it would be doing our listeners a disservice because there's absolutely no way to stream the film right now. And so like, you could scour thrift stores to find a copy, which you should. The film is great. But So I'll put that one aside. I'll just recommend it. But I feel it's not Halloween without Stephen King, my favorite author. So I feel we should delve into his very large... Uh, a filmography based on his works. There's a lot to choose from. Uh, but really, I feel 
There's one that rises to the top. It's the one that Mr. Stephen King directed himself. It's Maximum Overdrive. Wow, I'm excited. I've never seen it. And you said your husband is terrified of this movie, yes? (laughs) Yeah, so we've talked a little bit off mic about this, but Adam, my husband, we've had long conversations about moments from films or TV that have really terrified us. For me, it's nothing but trouble. Joe, I don't know if you have something that sticks out in your head. I have a few. I have like Poltergeist 2. That's right. I do remember our Poltergeist 2 conversation. In fact, I think we talked about that maybe in our pilot, the things that scared us as a children. But for my husband, he remembers something about a scary truck with a green goblin face just (laughs) chasing these people. And I remember asking, I think you about it a long time ago, Joe, and you were like, oh yeah, that's absolutely a maximum overdrive. Because we were talking about how there are other films that involve scary big rig trucks or or trucks in general just chasing someone. Steven Spielberg's Duel is a big one too. Yeah, and it definitely was not Joyride. So I'm excited because I'm going to make him sit down and watch this. Well, I hope it's cathartic for him and not legitimately terrifying (laughs) well and the fact that it's stephen king directing you said and he wrote it was a short uh it's a short yeah it's from his night shift collection called trucks yeah this is stephen king jumping in to do it himself while he's very much in the depths of his cocaine addiction uh and he does not talk very kindly of his experience or the movie but we'll get into that in the episode. Yeah, I'm excited. I think we should have a good lengthy conversation about your love of Stephen King and also some of his other adaptations. All right. Uh, If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Uh, For upcoming release info and other social media updates, check out at Video Dropbox Podcast on Instagram or at Video Dropbox on Twitter. Uh, And you can also reach us at videodropboxpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, remember to be kind and please rewind.